Amen. But if you have your Bible tonight, Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. Amen. And if you got it tonight, say amen. Amen. Brother Jarvis called me about four o'clock yesterday and said, hey, can you do tomorrow night's service for us? And I said, yes, sir. As I figured he's going to need a break going back to back. You know, it's not a whole lot of people doing that nowadays. So I'm, you know, thankful that he trusted me and was able to lean on me to help him out because I know that takes a, a, a toll on somebody preparing a message because there's not just a there's not just a mental weight to it, but there's a spiritual weight to it as well. And if you think your pastor doesn't ever feel that spiritual weight of your soul, whenever he prepares a message and then we just come in here and we sleep halfway through it and he's been praying for you all week, it takes a toll on somebody. So remember to pray for your pastor and encourage your pastor and tell him he's doing a good job. We don't just want to, I heard somebody say, you don't want to just give roses when somebody dies, but make sure you give them roses while they're still alive too. Because we just had a, a funeral of uh, my uncle, my, sis, my, my Granny Reba's brother, his name was uh, Floyd, and uh, they had a funeral, and everybody come and told him how great he was, what a great man of God he was, and I heard that it was a good funeral. I didn't get to go to the funeral, but I went to the visitation, and I can remember him standing up at some family reunions when we were about to eat, and him just praying over the food and he was saying children you got to be full of the Holy Ghost he said John the Baptist said that I baptize you with water but one's coming after me that's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire and I remember he said how you like that the first Baptist was a Pentecostal believed in the Holy Ghost <laughs> I don't have a whole lot of memories of him but I remember that one right there <laughs> amen but if the Lord would help me tonight we'll read this scripture Acts 9 and verse 31 he said, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. It's real short. I'm going to read it again one more time. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. And if the Holy Ghost would help me tonight, I'd like to preach on this thought. A church that has God's attention. A church that has God's attention. If you would, stretch your hands towards heaven right now and ask the Holy Ghost to come in this place. Lord Jesus, we're in need of you right now. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you to anoint me to be able to, to speak forth what you've showed me from your word, Lord, but I know that it's not my words tonight that are able to help anybody. But Lord, it's only when you move by your spirit and you grab your word and you plant that seed in their heart, Lord, and it begins to take root in their life and it begins to grow, Lord, because of the work that you've done in there. Lord, we need you tonight, Holy Ghost, to change hearts, to change minds, to change lives, God. Lord, there's so many needs that are among us right now, Lord, and we might not know every single one, and there may be some that haven't even told everybody all the needs that are going on in their lives, but Lord, you're aware and you know. We need you tonight to come and strengthen us and encourage us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. 
Amen. Well, I want to preach on this thought of a church that has God's attention. Now, I know that God is, is sovereign and he knows all things and he sees all things. And his word says that there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground without him noticing it. But the kind of the concept that I'm wanting to get across is whenever we do the things that are pleasing to the Lord, his attention and his eyes, they're turned towards us because it, it, it moves him. He's drawn to obedience tonight, church. That's what moves the heart of God is obedience to his word. That's when you grab God's attention. He told us in Matthew chapter 6, he went through a long list of things that he didn't like that the religious people were doing in that day. He said when they pray, they pray with loud voices so that everybody can hear them. He said, but when you pray, I want you to pray in your closet all alone, all by yourself. And the God that sees in secret will reward you Openly, Because God wasn't moved by the flashy prayers. He wasn't moved by the great words or, or how poetic their prayer was. What he was moved by was the heart of somebody who was willing to read his word and willing to fellowship with him in the way that he wanted to have fellowship with them. And he goes on to say, when you fast, make sure that you, you keep yourself looking nice. Because there's some people, he said, that they disfigure their faces and they make themselves seem pitiful so that everybody knows those people are fasting so that everybody bows down to them when they walk by. Those people are so spiritual, but God's not moved by any of it. They could have fasted 40 days, but God wouldn't have cared. God, they wouldn't have had God's attention. Why? Because they're doing it out of their own selfish pride. They're doing it out of their own heart. They're doing it out of, out of, a, out of a heart that says, I want attention for myself. But when he says, when you fast, he said, wash your face, put on good clothes. That way nobody has any idea that you're fasting. He said, and you're going to fast unto me. And that is what grabs God's attention. I think about Saul and I think about, about David, how Saul, he was a king of Israel. And he had just won a great battle. But he had disobeyed the Lord after that battle. And he kept some of the things alive that God had told him to kill. And as he's making these great sacrifices and as he's parading this king that he's just conquered through the streets, everybody would look at that and say, surely that moves the heart of God. Surely God's drawn to that. But God wasn't looking anywhere at Saul. God's eyes were not on him. He saw it, again, not that God is blinded to things or that he doesn't see things that are going on. He saw it, but he said, that's not what grabs my attention. But instead, he was looking at some little boy on the backside of a wilderness under a tree all alone with his harp. And that boy had God's attention to the point where the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. We ought to be a church that desires the attention from God, not just the attention from man. Not that we just come here to put on a show or put on a spectacle and that we do our brand of church the way we like it so that other people who like our brand of church the way we like it will also look at us and say, hey, good job, guys. You're still doing it the way that I think it should be done. And we meet those people's approval. Is that why we're coming in here? Or are we coming in here tonight to get God's attention and say, God, I don't care what's going on in my life. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what I got to do. Lord, I need your eyes on me. I've been listening to a worship song uh, uh, recently, and it's, it's a, you know, a lot of these worship songs, you know, some people don't like them very much, but to me, they, they, sound, they almost sound like a prayer when you really look at them because they don't, they don't have these 
great theological words that there is a fountain filled with blood. That's great. I love that. I sang that one the last time I led worship. I love that song. But the one I've been listening to, it says, if I could have anything, let it be your eyes on me. Because whenever I catch your gaze, my world starts changing. He said, but I don't have that much to bring, just a simple song to sing. It says, Lord, if I could have anything, let me be an offering. That one thing that I want, Lord, I just want your attention. I want your eyes. Thinking about children that go through life, a lot of times in, in sports events, Whenever, whenever you see kids make a good play, they look up in the stands, but they're, they're really just looking for one or two people. They're looking for mama, they're looking for daddy, they're looking for grandma, they're looking for the girlfriend, because they want to know, is, did what I just do, did that, did that catch your attention? Did, did that play that I just made, were you proud of that? Did you like that? That whenever we're going through this life, that ought to be our, our, our posture towards the Lord. That whenever we're walking through here, we're, we're looking out as we're living our daily lives, as we're in our word, as we're in prayer. We're looking back at the Father and saying, is this what moves you? Is this what you like? Is this what grabs your attention? Because more than anything else, I don't want the praise of this world. They can have it. They can take it. But Lord, if I have your disapproval on my life, Lord, that's not what I want. Lord, I want your attention. And more than anything, we ought to be a church that desires God's attention. Especially in times of need, we, we become like Hannah. You remember Hannah, that she was barren, she didn't have a son. And her prayer was, Lord, look on me in my affliction and remember me. Her prayer was, Lord, just look at me. Because it feels like your, your, your attention is somewhere a million miles away right now. I feel like I don't have your attention. I feel like I'm going through this and you're not paying attention to me. Lord, I just want you to look at me. That was her prayer. But we go on and we find out that God's attention isn't necessarily a prize that is to be won. Because it tells us in his word, in the book of 2 Chronicles, that the eyes of the Lord are roaming the earth, seeking whom he may show himself strong. On their behalf. And tonight you may be thinking, Lord, I, it feels like you're not looking. It feels like you're not paying attention. God, it, it, it doesn't look like you're seeing me where I'm at right now. But I want to encourage you that his word says that you may be looking for God, but his word says he's looking for you tonight. He said he's looking for those who he's going to show himself strong on their behalf. And if you will get your attention off of yourself and put your attention on him, that's really when we do get his attention is whenever he has our attention. It almost demands it. And he's looking at us. Why? Because we're looking at him and we have this relationship and we know that he sees us. And that way, whenever we go through trials and tribulation in his life, we know I'm not suffering by myself but God is looking for a chance to show himself strong in my life yeah. hallelujah hallelujah this church that I read that I read to you about it says that the church in Galilee and Samaria and in Judea it says they were at rest and they were edified walking in the fear and the comfort of the Holy Ghost they were multiplied this church had God's attention now to learn a little bit more about this church and what this church was going through and, and, and some of the things that are happening you got to read the whole chapter and if you if you're a Bible reader you might know that Acts chapter 9 is the conversion of the Apostle Paul it's where Paul is on the road to Damascus to kill Christians 
to put him in prison, but all of a sudden he has this experience with the Lord where the Lord shows up in a great light and begins speaking to Paul and changes his whole course of action. And no longer does he go to Damascus to kill Christians, but rather when he gets to Damascus, he starts preaching. He starts preaching about the Jesus that he was persecuting those Christians for believing in. And we have the account here how, how when he, went, he got to Damascus, the Lord sent a man named Ananias to go and pray, pray for him. Because when that great light, when the glory of the Lord shone upon him and he was thrown to the ground, it, it caused him to become blind. And God sent Ananias, he said, go pray for him, go baptize him. And we know that right there, Paul was prayed for, his blindness was healed, he received salvation, he was baptized and he was filled with the Holy Ghost. All at once, right there. And was set on fire to do God's mission. And then it tells us that while he's preaching in Damascus, that all of a sudden the, 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 the other Jews and the other people in Damascus didn't like him preaching the message that he was preaching. And now they seek to kill Paul. The one who was coming there to kill people for believing in Jesus is now preaching Jesus. And now his head is the one at risk. And it's, the Bible tells us that they let him down at night over the wall in a basket so they can escape and that he comes, to, he comes to Jerusalem and meets with the other apostles there. And the same thing happens in Jerusalem. They hear about Paul. They hear that he's preaching Jesus now. Some of his, probably some of his same friends, some of his same buddies that he used to hang with, that he was persecuting Christians with, they heard that all of a sudden something's happened to Paul. He ain't persecuting Christians no more. He's preaching the gospel. They're wondering what happened to Paul. You know what happened to Paul? He got an experience with God and got full of the Holy Ghost. That's what happened to Paul, and now his life has changed forever. And then we learn, at the end of it all, he, he, he leaves Jerusalem because they're seeking to kill him there, there as well. And now, all of a sudden, we come to the verse where we started, and we learn that this church in Galilee and Samaria and, and in Judea, it was at rest, and they were edified. And they were multiplied because they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Paul goes on to describe his conversion in Galatians chapter 1 verses 22 through 24. And it says, and I was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. He said, but they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed and then it says this and they glorified God in me I think one of the greatest lessons that we can take away from this conversion of the of the apostle Paul is that there is nobody that is too far gone that Jesus cannot save there is nobody so far out there that when God gets a hold of their life and God gets their attention that he can't completely change everything that's going on in their life and use him for his glory. Hallelujah. Zach ain't here tonight, but I'm going to preach. I'm going to help him preach anyway. It says that they glorified God in me. They glorified God in Paul. His conversion was enough to make the churches praise. Let me tell you, the same thing can happen in this church that whenever we see people that were lost, that prodigals that were out there, all of a sudden come back to the faith, we glorify God in them. 
Hallelujah. We glorify God in Zach Jarvis. We glorify God in Maynard Parker that every time he stands up and tells his testimony that on July 9th, 1990, that he was saved at E-Town Youth Camp and he's not been the same ever since. And we glorify God in him. And we glorify God in Joe Baker and in Michael Bennett and in Kirk Schooley and in Reba Bustle. Why? Because God has done a work in their lives. Hallelujah. If you're waiting for a chance to shout tonight, it was right there. I don't know what you're waiting on because we can glorify God because of each and every single one of you that are sitting in this church building tonight is a testament to what the glory of God and what the grace of God can do in somebody's life. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. There ain't nobody that's too far gone tonight. There ain't nobody so far out there that when they, God gets a hold of them, they're going to be changed forever. Hallelujah. You know what it says? Because Paul was all of a sudden changed, it said these churches had rest. Another, set, another translation said these churches had peace. Why? Because their main persecutor had now become their main preacher. And one of the greatest persecutors of the church is now one of the greatest preachers to ever set foot on the earth. And they glorified God in him. Hallelujah. I thought about this while I was preparing this message. I know there's some enemies out there in the church world that would love to destroy what's going on in the church and would love to destroy the work of God. And we look at them as if they're the enemy, as if they're so far gone, whatever it may be, some political figure that doesn't like the Lord, some movie star that doesn't like the Lord, some Instagram influencer that doesn't like the Lord. But I got evidence in my Bible tonight that God can take those people who hate him and turn them into some of the greatest evangelists some of the greatest ministers that could ever be seen hallelujah hallelujah because nothing tonight is impossible for my God hallelujah no matter how dark the sin no matter how deep the grave or how deep the pit you think you've fallen in tonight or whatever family member that you've been praying for for 30 years 20 years five years it don't matter what it is the grace of God is still enough for them tonight Hallelujah, hallelujah. They're not too far away that the Holy Ghost can't catch up to them. Because let me tell you tonight, you may try to run, and they may, or they may be trying to run, but let me tell you, the Holy Ghost is faster. My Jesus is faster that wherever they get to, there ain't nowhere that he can't catch up with them and sit them down and say, all right, we got to change some things right here and right now, just like he did to the Apostle Paul on that Damascus road. And he was never the same again. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And they were edified, it says. That word edify, what it means is to build up, to shore something up, to make something more firm, to make something more settled, to make something more founded, more established, whatever it is. The church was built up because of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. They had peace and they were built up just by one sinner coming to, just by one sinner coming to Christ. Hallelujah. I wonder where the next Apostle Paul is out here in London. I wonder where we can be built up by one Christian, by one sinner that now becomes a Christian and walks in these doors. Because let me tell you, one of the greatest things that can encourage the church is seeing sinners saved. One of the greatest motivators in your spiritual life is whenever you see people who used to be a child of hell and now they're a child of God. Hallelujah. And we serve a God that can do it tonight. We serve a God that is able hallelujah hallelujah but we got to go on and see why these churches were multiplied 
why these, why these churches, they had God's attention. We know now why they had peace. We know now why they were built up. We know now why they were edified. But it goes on to say that they were multiplied. Why were these churches multiplied? Another, another uh, translation I was reading, it says, these churches kept on increasing. They were multiplied. They kept on increasing. Why? Two things. The fear of the Lord. They walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. And let me tell you, this, this next part I've got to get into, this is a little bit like a, uh, like a sour patch. You ever had a sour patch? Their slogan is, first they're sour, then they're sweet. There's a lot of things like that in the Word of God to where you've got to wade through some stuff in order to get to some gold. <laughs> and this may be like, be like that for a little bit right here, but I promise you it gets sweeter on the other side. But walking in the fear of the Lord... It is a part of the church that has the attention of the Lord. And it's a very serious thing whenever you're walking in the fear of the Lord. Vine's expository dictionary, it defines it as this. It's a reverential fear, a reverential respect for his divine power and righteous retribution. Retribution meaning the punishment of guilty criminals. His righteous, his divine punishment of guilty criminals. Criminals, the dread of his displeasure. Like we were talking to, like we were talking earlier. You know what moves the Lord? There's things also that causes him to be displeased. Where we look to him and say, Lord, is what I'm doing? Is this pleasing you right now? The same thing. We can do things to wherever we look at him, we see a, a look of of displeasure on his face. But we got to walk in that fear of the Lord if we're going to be that people. Proverbs is a book full of wisdom, obviously, and full of of, 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 of things that it calls the fear of the Lord. Several different things that I went through and I wrote down what, just what Proverbs, you know, it's in several other places in the Bible, but it, just in Proverbs, this is what Proverbs calls the fear of the Lord. It is the beginning of knowledge. It is the beginning of wisdom. It is strong confidence in a place of refuge. It is a fountain of life. It is better than great treasure. And it is the driving force to make us depart from evil when we fear the Lord. That, Lord, what I'm doing in my life, I know it might cost me something to get it out. I know it might be uncomfortable, you know, whatever it is in my life. I know it may be uncomfortable for me to get it out. I may have to go through some stuff in order to be pleasing to you. But, Lord, I want to walk in the fear of you. I want to walk in the fear of the Lord. Because, you, you know, some churches, you know, they, they won't preach this at all. That God is angry with sinners, that there is divine judgment, divine wrath stored up for all those who do not believe. But you got to realize, this God that we're serving, it ain't no puppy dog. He's not your bro. Or if I could borrow some terms from Gen Z, he's not the almighty sky daddy, Levi. He's not. I promise you, he's not. <laughs> He's more than that. He is the mighty God that he refers to him in the Old Testament as El Gibor, the mighty God. And it goes on in other names of God that it describes him as the creator of all living things, the redeemer of all mankind. This is the God that we're serving, and we are to walk in the fear of the Lord. And this is where so many churches today are getting off track. Because they do not walk in fear of a divine displeasure in their lives. 
They do not walk in the fear of the Lord that there may be something that's not pleasing to you. And if it's something in my life, you know, maybe I'll just glance over it and put it to the side. No, when God deals with something in your life, he means business. He means to get it out of there. And this is something that we all got to go through. You see many times in, in, in churches today, it's turned it into a social club and they fear man. They change their doctrine because they don't fear the Lord. They fear what men says about them. But the Bible says in Matthew 10 and 28, these are the words of Jesus that he's speaking. He says, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. I told you, it's got to get a little sour for a little bit. Fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You know what he's writing this to? Persecuted Christians who are facing death. That if they would just lie about their faith, they would live. We don't face that in America. We don't face anything close to that in America. To where either lie about your faith and displease God or tell the truth about your faith and get killed. There's countries that are doing that right now. And we ought to pray for them every single day because it takes a lot of faith to live in those countries. It takes a lot of faith to live in those countries. But we are not to fear man which can only affect our body. Fear him which can cast the body and the soul into hell for eternity. Walk in the fear of the Lord. There are many passages in the Old Testament. I'm going to use one out of Nahum tonight though that tell us about the fierce anger of the Lord towards sin. If you want to know God's attitude towards sin, look at what he did to his son. If he didn't spare his son from wrath, if he didn't spare his son from the cross, how much more do you think he'll spare you if you're not trusting in him, if you're not obedient? We ought to walk in the fear of the Lord. Nahum chapter 1, the book of Nahum, it's written to the, the city of Nineveh. It's written to the, the city of Nineveh, which is the capital city of Assyria, which was the main uh, national superpower of the time whenever Nahum was writing. You know, God had already sent one prophet to them. His name was Jonah. And he prophesied to him, and then he sends another prophet because the first one didn't work. They backslid and turned away from him again. And so he sends another prophet to tell him, this is it this time. You're just going to get it. And he tells him, this is it, verse number 1 through 7. Nahum, the burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Ecclesite. God is jealous. The Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and in great power, and will not at all acquit, acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind, and in the storm, and in the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea, and maketh it dry, and drieth up all the rivers. Bashan languisheth, and Carmel, and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him. The hills melt. The earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation and who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. It's just describing the scene of whenever the almighty God steps on the scene to deal with something that he's displeased with. When he steps on the scene, rivers are dried up. 
The ground is scorched and burned. The mountains are thrown down by his presence whenever he steps on the scene. He is somebody to be feared. I've heard preachers say before whenever they're, whenever they're giving out a, a, a call to salvation about sinners who won't come and repent, they're, they're, one of the things that they'll say, I've heard many different, not just one preacher, but many different preachers say, they say, I hope that you are miserable tonight if you do not turn to the Lord. Because it's better that they be miserable and come to the Lord than God give them peace and one day they wind, out, wind up in hell eternally separated from the God that would have saved them and sent his son to die for them. It is a fearful thing. That's what we learned about in, a, in Sunday school the, the other week, uh, young adult Sunday school class. <laughs> we learned about it the other, other week in a Hebrews chapter 10, that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Paul goes on to say in the book of Corinthians that knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. It would do us all good if we were baptized tonight in a healthy, reverential fear of the Lord. But there's a second thing that we have to also remember. Remember, this is a Sour Patch sermon. It gets sour and then it gets sweet. Walking in the fear of the Lord... And in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Whenever I read this, I, had re- I just read this literally Saturday morning. And the Lord had stirred my heart. And Brother Jarvis called me the other day. Because the Lord always provides. He always knows what's going on. Because I was studying this anyways. <laughs> and the Lord was stirring my heart towards this passage. Because it caught my attention when it said the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And immediately my mind was like fear and comfort are not two things that go together. They're they're not things that work. You either have one or the other. You're either fearful and have no comfort or you're comfortable and you have no fear for, for most things in life. But let me tell you, in the kingdom of God, it's not either or. It's both and. You need a healthy dose of both of them or you're not gonna be able to make it and you're not gonna be able to multiply because let me tell you, at the end of this thing, this is where God's trying to get us to tonight. This is where God's trying to grab our attention and focus it on him tonight that if you will do these things that I'm commanding you to do, if you'll walk in a healthy fear of the Lord and you'll walk in the comfort of the spirit, you're gonna see multiplication happen in the body of Christ. You're gonna see increase happening in your life whenever you're walking in these things because I got went on after I studied the fear of the Lord I began studying comfort and this word here comfort the comfort of the Holy Ghost in the Greek it is parakletos which literally means a calling to one's side hallelujah I want y'all to get that tonight it is a calling to one's side and immediately my mind thought of that 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 hymn draw me nearer Nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. And you know what the Lord is doing through the ministry of the Holy Spirit at work in this body tonight? He is drawing you to his side because he knows if all you do is walk in the fear of him and you're afraid of him, if that's all that you learn about him, the only thing that can do is turn you into into the most legalistic Christian that there is and can even turn you towards idolatry to where you worship what you do rather than you worship the one you're doing it for. If you don't walk in the comfort of the
the Holy Ghost because he's pulling you to himself. The same God that sinners quake whenever he comes in their presence is the same God that we find, in whose presence we find our peace tonight. As he's drawing us by the Holy Spirit towards his side, it means a calling to one side. It means an exhortation, a consolation, a comfort. One of the, this word is also used to describe the coming Messiah. He is known as the Paracletus, the consolation of Israel. The Paracletus of Israel. And we also know later on in John 14, and 16, that it says, I will pray the Father and he shall send you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. That word changes a little bit there, but it comes from the same word, which is paraclete, which is one that comes by one side. He's drawing you to his side, but when he is the paraclete, he comes by your side. First John 2 and verse 1 says, now little children, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That word ad advocate in the Greek is the same word used here and it's translated as the word comforter, paracletus. Jesus is the one in whose presence whenever we come to the Father, he comes beside us and begins to comfort us, begins to plead our case that his blood is enough for us and we're able to enter into the presence of the God that we should fear as sinners. And if we don't have both of these things at work in our life, we are never going to live the life that God has called us to. Because you will go insane looking at the, at, the, at the almighty power of God and walking in the fear of the Lord. It will drive you from him. You will live in fear. You will try to run as far as you can to get away from him to a place where you think that you can hide. The Bible describes this. In the book of Revelation, that in the last days, when Jesus steps on the scene to judge the, to judge the earth, they're going to cry for the mountains to fall on top of them because the glory of God has now showed up in the presence of sinners. But you and me tonight, we don't have to fear him like that. We don't have to stand away from him right like that. But the book of Hebrews tells us that we are to come boldly tonight before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and help in time of need. You don't have to be afraid of him. You don't have to let the fear keep you back and not draw you closer to him. But he sent the Holy Ghost tonight to come beside you as that comforter, as that paracletus to draw you to him tonight he's not asking you to run from him he's saying come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest hallelujah 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 because what happens whenever you start on this Christian walk and you realize how fearful it is to serve the Lord and you realize how awesome that he is you're going to realize how sinful you are and without the ministry of the Holy Spirit coming beside you and saying, look, I know you're in a mess right now, but I'm trying to clean you up because I'm trying to get you to a place where I can use you. I'm trying to get you to a place where you can be a vessel that's, that, that, that's able to be used in the ministry of this gospel. We need the drawing of the Holy Ghost. Did he not say that he would be a comforter? Even after, how, how old were you when you got saved, Granny? Yeah, how old were you when you got saved? Uh, 
25 years old. She's 93 years old tonight. Somebody help me with the math. I'm preaching. I can't think. <laughs> What'd you say? 68. 68 years. 68 years. And did you hear her? Whenever, how old were you whenever you got filled with the Holy Ghost, Granny? few months after that same age and you and you heard her tonight the Holy Ghost is still walking with her after 68 years of ministry he said he would be a comforter even to the end of the age he's not going to leave you he's not going to forsake you you may be you may get 68 years down the road in your life by the grace of God if he's still allowing you to live but let me tell you something he's still going to be drawing you closer into his presence he's still going to be making you more and more like him because he is drawing you to his side hallelujah hallelujah I've been having to go through some things in my life recently some decisions that I've having to be having to make and wanting to serve the Lord and wanting to be pleasing to him and all that and the Lord's pulled some things up that he's just not pleased with and whenever he would do that if he didn't send the Holy Ghost to be a comfort because some of those decisions, they weren't easy to make. They weren't necessarily the, the, the easiest, easiest thing ever, the most joyous thing to walk down. But the whole time, the Holy Ghost is standing back, walking in the fear of the Lord. That's why we're being obedient. But the whole time, the Holy Ghost is standing by my side saying, I'm pleased with how you're dealing with this. I'm pleased with how you're, how you're making it. I'm glad that you're fixing this. I'm glad that you're, that you're making this decision right here. Why? Because if you walk in the fear of the Lord, you need that comfort of the Holy Spirit to come beside you. <laughs> Because you'll never serve him if all you know is his anger and all you know is his wrath and all you know is his fury. You're never going to be able to get close to him. But he sent the Holy Ghost tonight to be a comforter. Hallelujah. Because you'll realize your own inability and the devil will be tempting you with everything he's got to try and stop short of what the will of God is for your life. We'll get closer and closer to the Lord as, as a collective body, as a church. And, and when you get closer to the Lord, he starts revealing things, more and more things in you that aren't right. And you're going to need the Holy Ghost to come beside you and say, I know it might be difficult to deal with some of these things. I know it might be difficult to get some of this out of the way. But if we're going to go any further, we're going to have to deal with it right there. Whenever you say that yes to God, that's when the Holy Ghost and the grace of God begins to flood your life like Niagara Falls. Why? Because you're stepping out in obedience, in reverent fear of the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm not going to be very much longer if you could come to the piano tonight. But at the end... Of every single one of these things, it says they were multiplied. That's the type of God that we serve. We don't serve the God of addition. We don't serve the God of subtraction. We serve the God of the increase. We serve the God of multiplication. And he's able to do more things with one simple act of obedience than a hundred religious acts that all they're doing is just trying to get attention for themselves. He told us in his word that the sacrifices of the Lord, they're a broken heart and a contrite spirit. He said, I would have obedience rather than sacrifice. Because that's what moves him, is obedience. And the only way that you're able to walk down that road is under the power of the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost in your life. 
You need that paraclete. You need that one to come alongside you and be pushing you down the road through all of your trials, all your tribulations. As God's perfecting you and making you more holy and making you more like him, you need that Holy Ghost to come beside you. We need to be baptized in the fear of the Lord, but we need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Reading through the book of Acts, I've been reading, studying in the Gospels a lot this summer. And I got done with them and started reading the book of Acts and just seeing how when the Lord was moving in each and every single situation, he began to pour out his Holy Spirit. Every single church you read about in this book of Acts, they were all tongue talkers. They were all spirit-filled churches with the gifts of the Spirit on display. You couldn't go anywhere to find one that wasn't. And as he would move, and as he would bless, he began to fill people with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit, it is to draw you to his side. It is to bring you to Jesus. Jesus said that no man can come to the Father except the Spirit draw him. And let me tell you tonight, a greater evidence that the Holy Ghost is working in your life, greater than tongues, greater than manifestations of prophecy or words of wisdom and whatever that is, is are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you looking more like Jesus? You can talk in tongues all you want and not look anything like Jesus. You can put on that show whenever you come to church. I've seen people talk in tongues in church, go outside and cuss. And I'm wondering what kind of Holy Ghost do they got? <laughs> Hallelujah. But we need that Holy Ghost living on the inside of us. That out of our belly, when he comes in, will flow rivers of living water. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I was thinking of a way to try and illustrate this tonight. And if I could have you three that went to, or you four back there that went to Southern Ohio, come up here real quick as I'm closing. <laughs> Amen. What this might look at, you can stand down here. I'm going to come down here. In coming, the Holy Spirit inviting us to come close to him. The Holy Spirit knows what we need. He knows how to give us direction in our lives and we're not going to find it apart from him. That is his work in the third person of the Trinity. That is his work. What he does, he makes us more like Christ. He draws us to Jesus and we got to learn his voice. But as I was thinking about what it would look like to come by the side, come, come by his side and, and, and walk with him, Come by his side and him come by your side and walk with him. When we were at Southern Ohio, get around me like we were in that blindfolded game. Whenever I was blindfolded, holding hands, we had to walk everywhere. We were at Southern Ohio. They put us in a game like this. They blindfolded all the male counselors and had all their boys form a circle around them. So I couldn't see at all where I was going. But we had one boy. His name was, his name was Tucker. They formed a circle like this. The rules were you couldn't touch your counselor. But you had to get your counselor somewhere. And so what you had to do is there was one person that all you could do was hear his voice. And he was speaking. My eyes were closed, but they would walk like this. And he would, he would say, this way, this way, come this way, Seth. Say it, say it. Come this way, Seth. This way. Come this, this way, way, Seth. Come this, this way. way. This, this way. way. I'm blindfolded. I have no idea. You know what I'm doing? I'm walking around like this. 
because I'm scared half to death. Even though there ain't nothing in front of me, I'm baby stepping it and acting like I'm about to fall every two seconds. Why? Because I can't see where I'm going because I don't understand where he's leading me. Let me tell you, there's a spiritual application to that because that's a lot of times what happens in our lives that where the Holy Spirit is leading us, we're a little bit fearful and we're a little bit hesitant to go into what he's leading us towards. But as long as we're just listening to one voice, walk this way again, say, come with me, Seth, come with me. And you're just listening to that one voice, say, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. And you've tuned every single voice out. You're beside him. He's beside you. He's leading you where you ought to be. I want to tell you, I did not stumble. I did not fall one time. Why? Because he he knew where he was leading me. I didn't know where I was going, but he had the whole thing mapped out in his head. And as long as I'm listening to his voice and I'm near him to where I can hear him, I don't have to be fearful anymore. Hallelujah. Can we all stand together tonight? Hallelujah. 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 And I think it would be all right. I'm not going to make a long, drawn-out altar call because the reality is that each and every single one of us tonight need to be baptized with a healthy fear of the Lord that we may obey him and we need the comfort of the Holy Ghost to come beside us that way we can be encouraged that every ounce of obedience every act of obedience that we do he's pleased with it why? because we're doing it unto him we're not doing it for ourselves hallelujah I wonder if we could all come and find us a place to pray tonight hallelujah thank you Jesus